Thanks, Glenn. Well, seven religious fanatics, extremists, were brought before the court. The prosecutor offered them a plea bargain on the condition that they return to their right mind. One of the prisoners says, I don't recognise the empire of this world. It appeared to all that these religious fanatics weren't so much under arrest for their sedition as much as their insanity. Their, their crime was hard to pin down. They weren't quite sure what they'd actually done. The authorities weren't sure what they'd actually done. In fact, the authorities had praised them for their exemplary citizenship, but they faced execution. They faced execution because they were unwilling to swear allegiance to the emperor. The month is July and the date is 180 AD and the place is, is Carthage. These seven are given 30 days to consider the offer of reprieve. If only they would swear allegiance to the emperor. And it turns out that all seven reject the offer, claiming this as their basis. They kept repeatedly saying, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And one woman, one woman named Secunda, she pipes up with a further point of clarification. She says to her executioners, I wish to be what I am. What is this? What does she mean? I mean, it could just be the rantings of a deranged woman. I wish to be what I am. But it wasn't for her. Because her execution defined who she was as a person. Here, she rejected the promise of life, the promise of freedom to take up death. And in doing that, she says, this is who I am. In not accepting the life given by the emperor and instead choosing to honour the one who she worshipped, the Lord Jesus, she embraces a willing sacrifice and she claims in that sacrifice to be who she truly is. We've heard the words of Jesus read to us, those closing couple of paragraphs from Matthew chapter 10. And there are words which no doubt came to mind as those seven faced execution a hundred-odd years after Jesus' own execution in the ancient world. And Jesus offers encouragement to people in that situation. In fact, we're going to see today the very reason as to why a person would choose, would choose to honour Jesus over life itself. We've been looking at uh, this chapter, chapter 10, for the last couple of weeks, and we saw last week Jesus' encouragement in a fearless confession of 
him before all men there in verse 32. Confessing, confessing Jesus is not an option. Every believer who refuses to acknowledge Jesus before the world, last week we saw, will be disowned by Christ there in verse 33. He says, I will deny. But this week we're going to see the impact of the confession of Jesus of Jesus as being our Lord, our King, of Jesus being above the Emperor, of Jesus being the ultimate authority in our lives, the King over our lives, the King who rules our lives. This is how Christians speak. And yet, Jesus reminds us here that there is a cost. There is a cost to naming Jesus as Lord. And in many ways, this is a hard passage, but there is great encouragement in it. There's great encouragement as those who faced execution in 130 AD found encouragement in Jesus' words. They found encouragement knowing that the way they lived was like the one they confessed, the Lord Jesus. In in these closing paragraphs, we see that Jesus focuses on a person's relationship with him. But he does it in two ways. First, he focuses on the relationship of the disciple himself. And then secondly, he focuses on the people who would either receive or reject him. There's two kind of sections that we're looking at here this morning. And Jesus says that a person who would be his disciple must value him more than, well, two key areas. Firstly, they must value him more than the love of one's own family, there in verse 37. And as difficult as that might be, Jesus also says that if anyone is to be his disciple, they must love him. They must value him even more than life itself, there in verses 38 to 39. This is Jesus' claim. And this is a high claim. This is an incredible claim in many ways. Because Jesus is calling people to follow himself. But he's calling them to follow him such that they would be willing to lose their life for following him. It's extreme in many ways. It's a high calling. It's a demanding calling that Jesus places on anyone who would consider themselves a follower of him. And so it's important for us just to stop and pause and think that of the extraordinary things that Jesus is saying. Because they show in many ways Jesus' own understanding of himself. And they show what it means for us as believers to take seriously what Jesus is saying here. Because if Jesus is not God, come to us in the flesh, then Jesus is either an example of incredible insanity or this is a hideous attempt to deceive. Which is it? If Jesus was insane, then we ought to ignore him. That would be the only rational thing to do. If 
Jesus was insane and inviting others to follow him at such cost, then we'd be in our right mind to ignore him. But if Jesus is attempting to deceive others, then it would be only right that we seek to expose him, to fight the lies for the sake of those who might be taken in and harmed. These are very real options for us to consider because it is extreme what Jesus is demanding of those who would follow him. He's either insane or he's one who seeks to deceive. But if he's not insane and if there is truth in what he says, if Jesus is, claim, is who he claimed to be, if he is the Son of God, then Jesus speaks the very words of God. And so these words, as much as any words, must be believed and obeyed, regardless of how difficult they are. If Jesus is the Son of God, then these are some of the most important words that we will ever hear. Because as Jesus indicates, our eternal destiny hangs on how we respond to these words. First off there in verse 37, Jesus says that a person who would be his disciple must value him more than the love of one's own family. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Here we see Jesus is preparing his disciples how to respond to this call that he's placed upon their lives. And here what we have really in verse 37 is the heart of discipleship. We have Jesus opening us, opening up for us the cost of what it means to follow him. And here he, call, he calls those who follow him to place him above everything else, above even the most treasured relationships that a human could experience. And you notice there in verse 37, Jesus refers back to himself. He says, um, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And again, anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus' worth is key for us to understand him. The extraordinary claims of verse 37. A person is worthy or deserving of Jesus only if they value Jesus above all human attachments. But what does it mean uh, to be worthy of him? If you don't love Jesus, I think this is what Jesus is saying, if you don't love him, then you won't have him. Because Jesus is demanding that he is our highest love. Because that's what happens when someone becomes a Christian. When someone becomes a Christian, they enter this new birth, this new moment of life. And there is this profound and deep transformation of that person and also of what that person loves, of what they treasure. And if such a person 
if such a person has been born to this new life, their deepest and fullest love needs to be for Jesus. And if it isn't, then they're not worthy of Jesus. This is what he's saying here in verse 37. Being worthy of Jesus doesn't mean deserving Jesus. It means being suitable as someone who has been redeemed, as someone who has been forgiven, someone suitable to be in his presence. When Jesus is the highest reality in our lives, then we belong to him. Then we are worthy of his presence. But it's important that we're reminded that those who follow him, even at the cost of the affection and love of their family, they are not starved of love. Because here in this section we're reminded that it's the affection and loyalty of Jesus' love for us that ought to be our highest love. Remember that story back in Luke chapter 7 where uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus to come for dinner? The Pharisee didn't wash Jesus' feet. The Pharisee didn't kiss Jesus' feet. He didn't do anything to show Jesus' affection. Then suddenly there's this woman of the street, a prostitute, who comes in. And then she's the one who's kissing and weeping at Jesus' feet. Tears are falling on his dirty feet as she washes them. And the Pharisees are offended by this. They're bent out of the shape. And they say in Luke chapter 7, verse 39, if you are a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this is, for she is a sinner. And so Jesus tells this story about two debtors. One owed $5,000 and the other owed $5. But the man forgives them both. And so Jesus asks, who will love him more? Pharisee says, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. And then Jesus says, when I came in here, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. But from the time I came in, she has wept over my feet, washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair, because she has been forgiven much. You see Jesus' point? In Luke chapter 7, the person who understands just what Jesus has done for them is overwhelmed, is overwhelmed by the love that Jesus has shown. See, we are called to put aside all to follow Jesus. But that's only because we in Jesus have been loved. We've been loved in the most profound way. We've been loved in a stunning way. This love that came from Jesus as he died for us, as he rose again, as he died for us with no merit of our own. This is the love that motivates us to give up anything for him. And when we understand that, when, we, when that grips us, when that treasure of his love is real to us, then this is, well, this is a small thing to walk away from the things of this world. 
The love of the Lord Jesus is so much larger than the love that the world would offer us. The treasure of heaven is so much larger than the treasure of the world. The satisfaction that Jesus offers us is so much more satisfying than what we would have from our world. And so here what Jesus is calling us to has a cost, but it also has great reward. And we need to remember both the cost as Jesus places before us quite seriously that there will be costs. There will be severe costs to following Jesus in this life. We need to balance that with the benefits, with the love that he offers us. And Jesus, of course, recognises the deep love that parents have for children. Later on in Matthew chapter 15, he'll speak about this. He'll call people and remind people from, as he quotes the Ten Commandments, to honour their father and the mother, their mother. But Jesus here is demanding a greater commitment. And so if Jesus is not first for us as his people, then we are not worthy of his disciples. Secondly, there in verse uh, 38, Jesus says that a person who would be his disciple must value him even more than not just his family, but than life itself there in verse 38. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus' challenge here goes to the point of being willing to die. And again, Jesus takes us to the heart of what it is to be a Christian. At the heart of what it is to be a Christian is to put to death the self. Not, not necessarily to be put to death, but at the heart of being a Christian every day is this act of putting to death the self, of putting to, putting to the side our own desires as good as they might be, for the sake of others. And we are to do that in such a way that this may lead to our death. The cost of the disciple is tied to the value of Jesus. Again there in verse 38, have a look. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's no greater cost than giving up your life. But it all depends on who you're giving your life up for. Because Jesus knows his worth. And he's calling those to live, those who follow him, to live indeed like him. Because the Lord Jesus was the one who showed us what it, what, what it is to live a life like this. And ultimately, he showed us by the giving of his own life. And so we won't um, often in Sydney be placed in situations where the confession of Christ might cost us our life. But perhaps it's harder to live like this every day. As, as important as it might be to confess the Lord Jesus at the point of a sword, 
at the point of death, that very same logic is the way in which we are to live the Christian life every day. And that is hard. Those in the second century, those seven in Carthage who confessed Jesus, who chose life in him over life in this world, they show the extreme example. They show the power, indeed, of Jesus' words here in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake. Again, the cost is tied to Jesus' worth. So if we're worried that this is too extreme, perhaps it's because we don't know what Jesus is worth. If Jesus is worth everything, then we will leave anything. And those in Carthage in the second century left everything of this world. They did it happily. They did it joyfully. They couldn't be dissuaded from it because they knew that there is a life in trying to find the things of this world. There is a kind of life, but that is a life that's losing life, as Jesus says there in verse 13. But in him, living for him, living at cost for him, Jesus says this is where true life is found. This is where true satisfaction is found. And this is the life that Jesus calls us to. In the everyday moments of our life, in the decisions of our life, on how we use our time, on how we use our finances, on our willingness to speak up for Jesus in conversation. Here, Jesus reminds us that if we enjoy the salvation that he gives us, then we owe him our life at whatever cost. Let's pray that we, as his people, may be able to honour him in the way that we speak and live. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus. We pray as we read them that we would be people who lose life but who find it in the Lord Jesus for his sake. And we pray it in his name. Amen.